0: You might have noticed that in our readings this morning, three all talked about something related to persecution, and the other one was just uh, kind of totally different from Romans. I'm going to be talking about the three from persecution, so if you'd just like to spend the next few minutes reflecting on the Romans passage, be my guest. That will not be wasted time. Um, but for our purposes this morning, this will be like a fire drill of sorts. If you had been in school or spent time working in a large building, you've probably been in a fire drill. If you've been in a plane, you've had the safety briefing beforehand. And the point of these things is they tell you what to expect. So when something bad happens, you won't be overwhelmed with fear. You won't be panicked, but you'll be able to calmly do what you've been called to do in that In that moment, and that's what I hope this morning will be like for us with two important caveats one I hope you'll actually pay attention. I don't ever pay attention to anything they say in the pre-flight stuff and Two I hope it'll be a bit more fun a a, a bit more interest. I don't know if it's fun, but a bit more interesting Um, So what we're going to do is is we're going to see how how we can be prepared to live um, when we suffer for Christ. Because I believe that following Jesus is the best way of being human. It's like he says that um, if, you, uh, uh, follow my, if you abide in my commandments, then, uh, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He talks about beautiful things that come when we follow Jesus. But the truth is, sometimes when we follow Jesus, things get harder. It's not as if if we follow Jesus, life is always going to be easier. Sometimes life gets harder when we follow Jesus, precisely because we're following Jesus. And so how do we stay faithful when faithfulness is what's causing our suffering? How do we stay faithful when being faithful is the thing that makes us want to to lose our faith? And so that's the question that we have for this morning. And I invite us to consider that the faithfulness of God enables us to, uh, in the face of frightful persecution, walk without fear. Because of God's faithfulness, we can face frightful persecution without fear. And I'm going to invite us to consider this by first looking at the picture that Jesus paints of of persecution, the frightful picture that Jesus paints, and then looking at the the practical ways and principles that enable us to be faithful in the face of suffering. And so first, a frightful picture of suffering. Um, As we've talked about in past weeks, in this part of Matthew, uh, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God expands. And so he's sent out the disciples, told them what to do, and in this part of the passage, he's giving them instructions as to how, about, as to how they'll go about that. And as the passage goes on, We can tell it shifts from specific instructions to their circumstances to more general things that apply to just more than what they're doing right there. So so that's what's happening in the gospel passage. Jesus is preparing his disciples to be sent out. And in it we see the nature of of Christian persecution. What does that look like? Well, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that doesn't sound good. I also know not not even a tenth of much about animal husbandry as Father James does, but I know that if you have a sheep in the midst of a pack of wolves, it's probably not going to end well, right? And so this is a frightful picture indeed. But we might want to ask ourselves, like, what, who are these wolves? As he talks about it in verses 16 to 23, he says that in some cases uh, it it will be authorities, be they religious or governmental, that use their power against these Christians who will be powerless to resist. Sometimes it's authorities. But other times it's more sinister and more scary either. As, as, As you go down to verse 21 and 22, the wolves are people that we know, family members, friends who uh, betray these Christians, and that's much more f- frightening. Like w- we can easily imagine, and like okay, perhaps there are big bad authorities who have to get some some folks right, but it's harder if people we know and care for use our trust against us. That's, that, that's much more challenging. That's much harder to swallow. But, but that is the picture that Jesus paints. And just as a caveat, I want to say that this is the like, worst-case scenario that uh, uh, our authorities, the people, our intimate associates turn against us up to the point of us possibly dying. He says that some people will be led unto death. And so that's the worst-case scenario of what Christian persecution might look like. But that begs the question of why are these people being persecuted in the first place? So if, if we look at this passage two different times, Jesus says, he says, for my name's sake. And this is a really important thing for us to keep in mind. What is essentially happening is these people are suffering for Jesus the hostilities that people have towards God are being extended towards these people precisely because they're reflecting the character of Jesus. They're experiencing suffering not because they're being jerks, but because they're embodying the character and message of of Jesus. Christian persecution is when Christians suffer for embodying the message and the character of Christ. It's not just a personal vendetta or political vendetta that people have a, a, against you. And, and there's, that's a really important for us to remember because it's easy for us to, if we have people attack us in any kind of way, want to fight back, right? Like, like want to, if they hit me, I'm going to hit them harder. But that isn't what Jesus says. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. For innocent as doves, it means we're going to be gentle. It means we're going to be blameless. It means that if people are going to hate us, it's not because we're doing hateful things. It's because they hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just because we're innocent as doves does not mean we're naive. He says, be wise as serpents. But it does mean that it does challenge the assumptions that, that, that we have. Like 1 Peter is the book that's probably best to read in the New Testament if you want to look at what does it look like to suffer well as a Christian. And at least four times by my count, he says, look, it doesn't do any good if you suffer for doing wrong. There's no honor in that be, before God. If you're suffering for being a jerk, if you're suffering because you attacked other people because you lashed out, that's not Christian suffering. He even goes as, as far as to say, when you are reviled, do not revile in return. He makes that very explicit. And so the essence of what this means is being sent out as sheep is this. Essentially, Jesus is saying, as you go out as a sheep among wolves, don't become a wolf yourself. As you're being sent out as a sheep among wolves, don't become a wolf yourself. For, for us as Christians, the ends can never justify the, the means. If we think, oh, but, but, but if I fight back, if I get back at them, if I undermine the, these people in these unchristian ways, it's going to further the cause of Christ. The truth is we cannot achieve Christian ends with unchristian means. As Jesus says, what benefit is there if you gain the whole world, yet lose your soul? If we are working for the cause of Christ, but not doing it in the manner of Christ, the suffering that we endure is not for Christ's sake. And so that's a picture of what Christian persecution looks like. It comes because we're reflecting the character of of Jesus not from personal vendettas that people have against us. And um, and it can be bad. It, it can uh, mean betrayal by friends and family. It, it can mean trouble with authorities, and it can even result in death. And if you're like me at this point, like, there's a cause for pause. Like, before I go on to the other stuff, I have to stop. Because as I'm reflecting on these things th- th- this week, it's like, there's an elephant in the room here. These things that Jesus is describing are utterly foreign in my life. I don't know if that's true of y'all, but the, the suffering that Jesus is talking about do not fit in how I understand my life, which is odd because, like, Jesus seems to expect that suffering will come in verse 24 and 25. And this is when it starts to transition to not just specific to him sending out these 12 disciples. This is where it starts to transition into this is just generally true for everyone. And he says this, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub. how much more will they malign those of his household? He says, look, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be like me, and they are maligning and scorning and attacking me, don't be surprised when you be maligned and scorned and attacked. But the fact of the matter is, as the president of Gordon-Conwell, the seminary that I I went to said, that the, the, the modern West is the only time in the history of the church without a sustained period of persecution, which is interesting. It's cause for pause. Paul even says, all who desire to live a righteous life will be persecuted. And so as I read this, I'm like, well, what, what does that mean for me? Because that's not my life. And I just want to have a few quick observations here. One is, the first one is, I don't think that's a cause for guilt. I, I don't think that we should try to become martyrs or anything like that. I think it's good for us to be grateful for the safety that we've had. That's not a bad thing. And so it's good to have that, that gratitude. But The question I have to ask myself is, yeah, in, in the U.S., I'm probably not going to be killed for following Jesus or anything, right? But have I tried to cling to my comfort in ways so I wouldn't want to do things that might make people think less of me because of me following Jesus? And so it's good to be grateful for our safety, but ask ourselves, like, am I clinging to comfort so that I will not have to suffer for Jesus? That's a question I have to ask myself. So that's one. Two is the, the, the other thing is that, um, on the other hand, it, it's, I, I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that in the last 20 or even five years, in some ways, it's become harder to be a Christian here in the U.S. Um, but I, I don't think that necessarily is the same thing as persecution, like if, if, if you look at public polling, it's clear that the favorability scores that people have towards Christians are going down, especially if you ask people who are irreligious or underwater in the favorability numbers. And so like, um, it, in the past, if 50 or 70 years ago, if someone found out you're a Christian, they, they might think more highly of you. Now it might be the case that if they find out that you're a Christian, they think less of you. But, but that's not necessarily persecution, right? I, I think that sometimes we're too quick to play the persecution card, especially here in the US. Um, when you look at our brothers and sisters in Northern Africa who have their church services attacked, when you look at pastors in China who are consistently in, in imprisoned, I think we're often quick to play the persecution card. But I think it is safe to say that in some ways, Christianity is is losing a place of power and prestige in our culture. And that feels like loss, and that can be hard for some people. Um, And that is okay to be honest about that while saying this is not necessarily persecution. But I do think, and, and, and so that's two, like a loss of power and prestige is not necessarily persecution. But three, I think we all still have opportunities to, to die small deaths in Christ. We all are given opportunities to die small deaths in, in Christ. You might not be arrested for being a Christian, but you might be passed over for a promotion at work. If because of your Christian convictions, you're like, I'm, I don't want to consistently work 80 hours a week. I don't want to work more than this many hours hours a week because I want to be there for my family. I think that's an important Or Maybe you're passed over for promotion because you're, you're going to say, because of my convictions about who God is and who Jesus is, I'm not going to cut ethical corners. And because of that, you might not be viewed as highly by your superiors if your metrics don't come in as high. And so those are small ways in which maybe you die a small death in Christ. It's not persecution, like in the big capital P, but it is a way in which we can die a small death in Christ. Or perhaps you might lose some intimacy and some friendships because if the the thing that that friend group gathers around is not something that you can do in good conscience, then perhaps you're going to lose some friendships. If you have a friend group that's gathered around gossiping about others and consistently drags other people, if you say... I don't want to be a, a, a part of that, then, then, then maybe you might lose some friends. Um, if, if you're advocating for victims of, of injustice, if, if, if you're trying to uh, lovingly are, are, are articulate a Christian view of, of the human person of, and of, of sexuality, you might have people hate you in, in, in some ways. That's a small death that we can die in Christ. That isn't capital P persecution, but does come with a cost. And, and here's something that it has in common with like legit, full-blown persecution. We, we use this word martyr to refer to someone who has lost their life for a cause. And the etymology of that word, it's actually the, the, the same word that, that you see here in, 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 eight, in verse 18 that, that means to bear witness The martyrs were called martyrs because their deaths bore witness to the reality of Christ. They believed this so much that they were willing to die for Jesus. And that showed, hey, this is credible. And so we might not lose our lives for following Jesus. But as we die these small deaths, we're not martyrs. But we're still in the same way as martyrs. We're testifying to the reality of Jesus. Jesus. We're testifying to the fact that there is something more than this world that we are living for, and it's okay if people don't like us. It's okay if we lose money. It's okay if we lose reputation and power because we believe in the one who gives us all the approval that we need because we believe in the one who is truly all-powerful because we believe in the one who will vindicate us. So it's okay if we take L's right now in this life. Um, And so we can still die small deaths in Christ. But maybe even those things are hard to do. Maybe it's like, I'm not worried about if I'll be able to die for Jesus because I know I won't be able to do those small things. So how can we die small deaths for Jesus? I think that Jesus gives us two principles here and the second half of our gospel reading, and I'm going to go over them just real quick. They're essentially this. God sees and God cares. Everything that we do for, for, for Jesus is not going to be forgotten by God. Like, if I know there are countless things that my parents have done for me that I have no idea how much they've sacrificed to love and care for me, But there is nothing that we can ever do for God that he will overlook. Jesus says that what will be hidden, our hidden acts of devotion for Jesus, will be made known at the last day. And that if we are ashamed before others, he will honor us. He sees us and he cares for us. He cares for us more than the sparrows. He's going to take care of us. And so we don't have to worry about everything that's happening. And if we want to live this out, the passage in Jeremiah and the psalm that we read are kind of practical applications and illustrations of how we can walk through Jesus in the face of suffering, how, how, how we can face frightful persecution w- without fear fear looking to the faithfulness of God and there I think you can look at these and meditate on them and, and glean lots of things but I just want to highlight two quick things one is honesty I, I wasn't, I, had, I think I had my eyes closed so I might have missed it when Elena read the first part of, Jeremiah, of our Jeremiah reading but he, he starts strong, he says God you have deceived me that's the kind of stuff where if I were at a restaurant and I heard someone start talking to someone else like that, I'm, I'm going to pull out the popcorn. I'm going to start watching. Because like, oh, something is going down here. But that's how Jeremiah is praying to God. He, he, he's not saying, Lord, I, I know that you are truth and light and in you there is no falsehood, but I kind of feel like maybe you've deceived me right now. He says, you've deceived me. He's being honest with God about what he's going through and about how much it sucks and about how he hates it. He's pouring out his heart before God. And this might sound abrasive to us, but there are prayers like this all over Psalms and all over the Bible. Um, Earlier this year at a Yopro gathering in response to some of the Lenten devotionals that we had with the people of Israel being in the, the desert Natalie asked a good question. She, she said, Is it okay if we complain to God? And I gave some really boring, dry th- theological answer, but, my, but Andrew, who's a, a pediatric psychiatrist, he gave a great answer that was better than anything that I could ever give. He, he said, I wish more of the kids I see would complain to their parents. Most of the kids I see are done complaining with their parents because they don't think their parents care, because they don't think it's going to matter. We cry out to God in honesty because we believe that God sees us, because we believe that God cares despite what our circumstances look like right now. And so one, be honest, and two, remember. There are more things in these prayers, but towards the end of it, Jeremiah says, after he does all this complaining, after he pours his heart out, he says, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. He remembers that in the midst of this, God is with him. And so in our suffering for Jesus when it's not an abstract idea, when it's not a drill right now, but when it's real in our lives, we can remember that God is with us and we can remember that it's okay if we face suffering for the God that we love because Jesus was faithful to us and him being faithful to what his father had called him to do made his life harder for him. It made him for years, for a couple years of his life, the religious authorities of his day tried to undermine him, tried to attack him, tried to kill him. And when the point when it became clear that his death was coming, he did not shy away, but because of his love for us, he was faithful, even when it caused suffering. He was faithful for us because he knew That we oftentimes want our comfort more than we want God. But Jesus was willing to suffer persecution for us. And so we can remember him and look to him and look at how he loves us. And be strengthened. That is what powers us through. That is how we can face persecution, face things that look like total that look like total and utter defeat. Because Jesus not only faced that, he endured it. It looked like Jesus was utterly undone by persecution. He lost everything he had. He was abandoned and killed by men, but he was vindicated by God. For our sake. And that is why we can do the same, because of the faithfulness of Christ and the frightful persecution that he faced, we can face our small deaths without fear, knowing that he sees us and knowing that he loves us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, um, we know that your ways are good, but sometimes they're hard in ways that we don't understand. And so God, give us um, the, the boldness in those times to um, be honest and pour our hearts out before you, trusting that you see us and that you care us and that you care for us, looking to you, Jesus who loved us enough to suffer for us. And God, if, if we are clinging to our comforts in ways that um, we don't want to suffer, for you in any way. God, please um, search our hearts by your spirit, Lord, that we might see um, the ways in which we are clinging to our comfort. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us more than your comfort. Amen.